Welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me virtually here on Skype, my co-host, Mr. Walter Lukashansky in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wally, how have you been the last week since we last spoke, bud? I'm happy to be here, Stephen. It was a little bit of a stressful week, so to get to come back here on a Wednesday night, talk a little football with you, it makes the day a little bit better. Makes everything a little easier. You know how it can be sometimes where you get caught up in life where stress is just hitting you up against the wall. It's good to be able to fall back on sports, to fall back on doing something like this. So I'm very happy to be here. I'd love to hear how you're doing, and I appreciate you asking, man. Well, you know it's been a little bit rough around these parts for me. Syracuse Orange getting absolutely spanked by the Houston Cougars here this past weekend. It was it was just an ugly game all around. That's the Syracuse team I'm used to coming on the floor every single – well, I guess not coming on the floor. It's a little sexual. But playing on the floor every, you know, 40 minutes every game, it, ugh, it's gut-wrenching. We have a lot of people transferring out. But other than that, me and the girlfriend got completely wasted at Dave & Buster's last Friday. That's one of – that's like my, my dirty little – what I I don't know. What do you even call those? What, what, I was gonna say date night. What are you talking about? No, it's like a dirty. It's like your dirty little uh, pleasure. That's what it is. That's what it is. Oh, okay, all right. Whatever. I don't even want to call it a dirty pleasure. This is Dave and Buster's. It's one of the greatest places on earth. It, we spent way too much money there. Um, we let's just say we walked out with around fourteen thousand tickets. A bunch of it was spent on Rick and Morty uh, memorabilia. Of course, that's where I want my money going to. All all around, great night. Got very drunk with the girlfriend. Had the parents in town this past weekend as well. And then it went all downhill after the Syracuse loss. But enough of me being sorry for myself, Wally. We're here to talk about football like you previously stated. We'll start it off with a nice funny story. Get mostly me uplifted here. Rashawn Coward, the newest addition to the Pittsburgh Steelers, former offensive lineman for the Chicago Bears. So this is a trade that happened. Rashawn Coward traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the funny thing about it is how the news actually broke, which was his girlfriend or fiance, I'd have to double check, was playing Call of Duty live, Mike, or what, Xbox Live, Mike was on. While in the background, you hear the boyfriend, husband talking about, oh, I would love to play for the Steelers, this, that, or the other. Ends up finding out he gets traded, and that's how the whole world finds out as well. Some asshole put this on Reddit, said, hey, NFL world, Rashawn Coward, I mean, such a huge name in the offensive line game, uh, getting traded to the Steelers. Is this going to be the future of how we're going to find out about these trades and, and free agent signings, Wally? I mean, think about it. For years now, I mean, every time you had the, the Brennemans, those kind of hot mic situations come up, it was giant news for weeks almost. Nowadays, it feels like you're getting hot mic, whether that be in an actual live television show or game of some sort where there's some kind of slip up. Now you're getting it where you saw Kyle Larson and NASCAR last year have a hot mic. You had, I can't remember, the basketball player not too long ago. You might be able to help me out. The Miami Heat guy that got suspended for a week. He had a a screw up. Miles Leonard. Miles Leonard, yeah. I mean, you're seeing these things happen. And luckily, in this certain situation, this is much more innocent. And it's more of a laughing, hey, this is kind of funny. Dude is literally just in his other room, gets traded. It's a fun story. So that's a good thing. But yeah, this is going to continue to happen. It's the world we live in. Technology's always at our fingertips. And with that, microphones, cameras, they're also right there. They're recording everything we're doing. So when people make a mistake now, it's typically there for other people to see. Lucky again, this was not one of those situations. This is one we can kind of laugh about and be like, well, good for him. He'll be a good fit there in Pittsburgh. And it's no harm, no foul situation. It's a feel-good story. I mean, I hate the Chicago Bears, so I liked watching him lose an O-line because that offensive line was horrible last year. Bottom three or five, bottom three to five, and they're losing a starting caliber guard tackle. This is this is no bueno, especially when you got Andy Dahl and the red rifle behind there. The main thing that we want to talk about here, because I we haven't even talked about it off camera. We think about this: the NFL adding a seventeenth game starting effective this season 
2021, adding a 17th game to the schedule. So, well, you know, we can go, there's so many different directions we can take with this. You know, people are going to be more injury prone. Obviously, the NFL is looking for a lot more money. I, I'm sure that they expedited the process of getting that 17th game after the, the post-pandemic season to recoup some of the lost revenue over the past year, year and a half. What are your thoughts about adding a 17th game? I kind of feel like you would like this as a Raiders fan. Maybe that's another game that gives you a chance not to rip your hearts out and play a little January football. Well, it's funny you actually bring up the Raiders first of all, because I have a group text or group me with a bunch of buddies from Cleveland that I went to high school with. And we were talking the other day about how you're going to have all those people that are Jeff Fisher fans, the seven and nine jokes, the eight and eights, the nine and sevens. They're all dead because of this. And I'm just like, hey, it's the Lee Corso. Not so fast, my friends. You still have the opportunity for the tie to get thrown in there. There will be teams out there in the future that drop that eight, eight and one record, which makes us feel a little bit more normal that the potential for a true 500 team still exists. Like the Raiders fans always seem to be kind of hovering right around there. So for a fan, more football is more football. It will take me a little bit of time. I'm a creature of habit. So going from having those set records that we've grown up with, you're 10 and six, you're nine and seven, you're eight and eight. All of a sudden having to be like, oh, you went 10 and seven or, oh, you're nine and eight. Like These things are going to take time for me to get my head screwed. I mean, when there's a tie, we're doing the seven, eight and ones. And I feel like an actual moron because I'm like sitting there like, all right, let's try to do the math in our heads here. How can we get to the playoffs with that record? So yeah, from just a, a fan perspective, more football is a good thing. It is obviously just a speed bump to get to 18 though. It's very clear. This is going to be used for the NFL to get that. And then they're going to do the concession to, I guess we'll let you only have two preseason games. The NFL doesn't give a shit about them going down to three right now. They're using it as a bargaining chip. This is just a speed bump to get to an 18-game regular season. And hopefully, 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 when that comes, that means a championship Sunday or a Super Bowl Sunday, excuse me, on President's Day weekend where we might finally get to have that Monday after the Super Bowl national holiday across the board. But I, I've been rambling here for a little bit. What I guess were your big takeaways? This is very different. It's not something we're used to. So what were the first things you kind of thought of when you saw this news? Well, the first thing was how how awesome it would see the Dallas Cowboys being eight and nine every year. I think that I think that would be the best case scenario. We kind of share the same thoughts here. I did the 17th game as a fan. Awesome. I let's break it down. As a fan, zero through twenty-two age, I'm pumped. I love this more football. I can always. I will never be against that. Now, kind of getting a little bit older, you know, just kind of putting yourself in the player's shoes. Yeah, you know that can equate to more money, bigger contracts. Awesome. You guys love that. But health-wise, you know, adding a seventeenth game, you're putting yourself more at risk with the possibility of adding an 18th game, especially on those Super Bowl contenders when that that adds what? Now it's going to bring it to a clean even 20 if you go undefeated, unlike what the Patriots are doing, regardless. So I like it a lot. At the end of the day, more football. We'll see how the teams are, you know, going to react with this. You know, for instance, the Pat, you know, Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, if they're going into week 16, they're 14 and one, are the, and they already have their number one seed locked up. So is that two weeks for a three weeks technically for a bye, the two regular season games and the and the bye week in the playoffs? So that's going to be really interesting to see how that is going to be played. One of the other things that really rushed to my mind once that that game was added was the records. Are these records going to be broken? Number one that came out was the 5,000 yard passing seasons. Those are going to be nothing now. Anything below fifty five hundred and below, everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, they were they were playing some pussy games." Because if you think about it, well, first of all, Drew Brees says five of the top seven passing performances, something like that. But it's a Sean Watson who ended up with a little bit more than forty eight hundred yards this year. Pat Mahomes with forty seven hundred yards. Tom Brady flirting with forty seven hundred yards. You give them one extra game, that's three quarterbacks throwing five thousand yards in one single season. 
So you can only imagine how more frequent that is going to be and how desensitized we are going to be for the 5,000 passing yards in a season. Yeah, you're going to see this kind of stuff happen across the board. I mean, Calvin Johnson's record, like you said, Derrick Henry, like you might get to that 2,000 yard clip that you had even been calling for in a 16 game season long term. I mean, in the 70s, what we don't remember, because obviously we weren't around yet, they were having these same conversations back then where what is this going to do for the record books for the Gale Sayers of the world, the Jim Browns of the world, all these guys that basically just didn't have the opportunity in in timing. So how are we going? It's going to be basically three different eras of football. You have the the modern era, the pre-modern era, and it's going to be the 17 and beyond era in case we do get the 18 games. You're going to have to look at all three of these statistical categories very differently because of that. And it is what it is. I mean, the NFL is a money-driven league, and they're going to go where the money is. And guess what? That happens with 18 games because people like you and me, we're not the ones that are going to be like, oh, 18 games? Screw that. I won't watch these extra two games. I'm like, all right, let's get the 20. Here we go. Like, So that's where my dumbass brain is. The only other thing I wanted to bring up to you, at least for this first year, is the last regular season game is no longer a divisional opponent. It is now a random, non, obviously a non-divisional opponent where maybe things are a little bit different where if, if I'm the Raiders, I want to say they're playing the Chicago Bears in week 17 this next year. The Bears are likely not going to be doing anything. They're out of the playoff picture at this point. They don't have that division kind of animosity for the other team. You might get teams like the Bears that just come out and just roll over and die week 17. If they're playing the Packers, the Packers are still wanting to beat the freaking Bears, even if they're already solidified into the playoffs because of that division rivalry. I don't know. Do you think that's going to be something that we look back and say, week 17 is going to be kind of a gross one to watch? Or do you, I don't even know what the ask with that. Or is it going to be, or do you think adding week 17 is going to be even temporarily a little detrimental to the quality of product on the field for the NFL. Well, the point I mentioned before, if you, if there's a team that has the number one seed, everything locked up, that's just two weeks of shitty football that we're going to get from that foot or from said football team. Now in the divisions like a NFC West or an NFC East, that that 17th game may be extremely crucial because what, you could finish six and eleven in the NFC East to make the playoffs. That just sounds so weird. There's a six and eleven team in the playoffs in the NFC East next year. We should raise hell. But to my example for the NFC West, that you may need a 17th game in there. Well, thank God for editing, because Steven and I are completely worthless right now. We're both rattled. We both have stuff on our mind. We're scatterbrained all over the place. So bear with us. We're gonna transition now, and we're fully in. We're back. I told you, stressful week. Work, bachelor party stuff, his work, his stuff, all that's out there. On to the fun stuff. There were a couple blockbuster draft trades a month beforehand this past week. In the course of about an hour. That's the crazy thing. This It was bang, bang. At first, what you had is you had the San Francisco 49ers moving up to three with Miami. In that trade, it's automatically assumed by all of us, and I think for good reason. It means the 49ers are moving up for a quarterback. Miami, in turn, they're deciding, you know what, we're running it back with Tua. Let's give him another crack at this. Let's possibly get him a weapon. Because they brought in Will Fuller, but they still need another guy. Devontae Parker's not going to get it done. He's solid. He's just not the kind of guy you want to surround a rookie quarterback or a quarterback going into his second year. You want to bring in that a little extra value. But what the Dolphins decided was they're not going to sit at three and do it. They're going to move down, maximize it as much as they can. 49ers give up a little bit to go up there. We'll talk a little bit here in a second about who we think they're targeting. But then what happens immediately after? Miami says, you know what? Yeah, we got that added value of moving down from three to 12. But we're not in love with the options we're probably going to have there at wide receiver, tight end, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to jump back into the top 10 with Philadelphia. So now Miami has bolstered again 
their draft capital. It turned into Laramie Tunsil. That trade with Laramie Tunsil, he is equated to four first-round picks for Miami. That is absurd. It's a great situation there in Miami. If Tua does happen to hit, they have all the tools in place to be a legitimate Super Bowl threat in a few years. On the flip side, Philadelphia, they, in turn, have three first-round picks next year, and they're still drafting in the first round this year. This is a team that's going in that soft rebuild. Carson Wentz, a crazy high number in dead cap still that they're still, yeah, you get rid of. You get rid of that a little bit. But the Eagles have their own problems. They're in that soft rebuild. They're trying to build around Jalen Hurts. I feel like this is a win for all three sides. I know it's two separate trades, but I want to hear, before we get into what we think San Francisco's doing, I want to hear your takeaways from these two trades here. Who you think, I guess, if you had to pick, the winner was. And then, I guess, anything else that when you look at this, you think that you can see and see what maybe this means for these franchises a little bit further down the road and what their plans are, not only in this free agency period that's still going on, but the draft as well. So we will start down in Miami where, man, they are just stock. What? Are you just happy to be off right now? <laughs> I'm a fucking joke. I'm so happy that I got through that. <laughs> so uh, we'll start We'll start with Miami, Wally. Miami, I don't know. They are, they're a poor man's Niners right now, front office-wise. They are making all these moves, like you said, starting with the Laramie Tunsil trade all the way back in 2017. Now they're moving, you know, they went from three to 12. Now they're down to back down to six, where you think that they would be looking at a Devontae Smith, a Lamar Chase out of LSU to pair up with Will Fuller. Like you said, I agree. I do not think Devontae Parker will be an answer for them or a compliment to them when you have Will Fuller. He was barely your number one, but maybe I'll eat my words and he can be a pretty solid number two if he stays healthy. Philly's in the perfect situation with this. You know, they're in the NFC East. Boom. And even if you want to quote unquote tank, you can still have that opportunity of winning that division going a seven and what is it? Seven and 10, a six and 11 and eight and nine. You can still win this division. There's not all that much trust in Dallas. Washington, New York are still projects. I mean, this is a full construction, full rebuild after demolition for the Eagles, but they are set up nicely in the future. The winner of this draft is whoever San Francisco is picking with that number three spot. Because how could you go to any better of a situation? No matter if you're, if it's, I don't know, say it's D-line, that's a great room to be a part of. O-line, that's a great room to be a part of. Anything really offensive when you're in the room with Kyle Shanahan, you're going to be used. I don't care if you're the number one receiver or the eighth receiver on the roster. Somehow Shanahan will find a way to use you. But... Wally, little inside scoop, friend of a friend. 49ers are not looking at a quarterback, even though what we're about to talk about here following this is going to completely contradict that. They're not, in fact, looking at a quarterback. They're looking at an offensive tackle to take out number three. That's on the insider I have, a friend of a friend who is close to a non-named quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. I'll just leave it at that. I think your buddy better make sure he doesn't get cut from the team because there ain't no chance in hell San Francisco moving up to take Sewell. Sewell, here's the thing. I watched Mel Kuyper's mock draft this last week right after we did this. I think it was Thursday or Friday. My dumbass has been calling him Panay Sewell for the last two or three years when he was at Oregon. If that is not how you say it, like I was so close to going through the TV, I don't understand. Is it Sewell or Sewell? I don't get it. But he ain't, they ain't taking them. I am not the guy to ask. I'm always going with you. You you introduced me to Yannick Ngakwe. You got me. Uh, you got me attempting to say what? What's this dude's name? Tyson Alu Alu. Tyson Alu Alu. Yeah, I can, I just got that one. But but at the same time, you're the one who's the English major, got your doctorate in English, so it makes sense that you can nail all these words. You're such a joke. You're such a joke. For anyone who actually thinks I have a doctorate in English out there, no. You know what? Feel free. I th- Have you told this story on the pod yet before? I can't remember if you have. I haven't. I was going to rip it off. Go at it. 
oh my god, if anyone should tell it, it shouldn't be me because I wasn't the freaking one that needs to tell it. You've got to witness it firsthand. It was amazing just watching you get your master's in English. So me and Walter were in the uh, Ohio Media School. The media school that we met got this podcast started. What well, first like first day that Wally was in there, he had mentioned something along the lines of he was taking an English class at Ohio State or he needed one more English class for Ohio State for something particular. I was considering double majoring at some point eventually because I've went through like half of the English course itself or the the major, half of the English major at this point. So our instructor, Andy, took that and ran. And so during the six-month course, every time English would be brought up, it would always be like, oh, well, Wally minored in English. But then it just increasingly got more ridiculous. Oh, Wally majored in English. Oh, Wally's got his doctorate in English. So now we we just stretch it so far, and that's how I know to get underneath his skin. That, or he hates when we talk about the weather, and then we just say, oh, well, it's Ohio. Give it 15 minutes, and it will change. I've been, and I'm sure you had the same stuff in North Carolina when you lived there. I have lived in Pittsburgh. I have lived in Cleveland. I have lived in Columbus. I have lived in Milwaukee. Every single stop I made, all of these cities think they're so special that they have four seasons. You're in the Midwest. You're in the Midwest. There are four seasons in the Midwest. Don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. You can go to hell. If I hear you say that on the street, that is the quickest and most surefire way for me to despise everything at your core. Such a way with words, Wally. I, I mean, I guess that's why you got the old doctrine in English. We're going to move it. <laughs> We're going to keep it with a little bit of college talk. We had some pro days happening here this week. Obviously, the all the eyes are on all the quarterback prospects that are going in this draft, most of the main four. Trevor Lawrence, who did not actually perform at his pro day. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and, of course, your boy and most of the people's boys that were that are listening, Justin Fields. And you got to kind of throw it in there, Mac Jones as well, since Trevor Lawrence did not have his pro day. We will kick it out west here at BYU. So Zach Wilson dropping bombs. You said it best here on our rundown. Very Mahomes-like. That's exactly what I thought. You know, he's ro- he's rolling out left and throws the ball right 65 yards. It's on absolute rope. This kid is looking good. A little fun fact of Zach Wilson's pro day, Micah Simmons, he was a wide receiver for BYU last year, graduated, went undrafted in the NFL. He is actually one of the receivers that Zach Wilson was throwing to at his pro day this past week. Micah Simmons ends up getting a deal with the Carolina Panthers out of this. Dude ran a 4-4-3. Sorry. Dude ran a 4-3-4 unofficial because it's pro day, so everything's unofficial. Runs a 4-3-4. Obviously, it's a very good catch in those passes. So, kudos. Zach Wilson's already getting his boys paid. Has even thrown the ball once in the NFL. Not even made a snap in practice or on the field. So, I know I kind of went far away from the whole point here. But, so, while I'm giving it to you, give me your thoughts on Zach Wilson's pro day. Well, I, I want to say, first of all, I liked how very smooth you slid that in with the whole Wally. I thought he looked very Patrick Mahomes-esque, too. You're the one who said that. I'm giving you all the credit. You're going to ride and die with that take. I didn't get the Patrick Mahomes vibes myself. Now, what I did kind of get was when you watch Zach Wilson, he has a little bit of a very compact, I kind of like his delivery. He reminds me of a little bit more of a mobile, it's more of a Baker Mayfield-like delivery, without a doubt to me, the best quarterback class. And I've said it for weeks. This is kind of getting old. And if you watch any kind of football media at this point, you're getting the same thing. But this is the best quarterback class, realistically, since that Eli Manning, what, what was it, Big Ben, Phillip Rivers, that massive quarterback class. And even before that, you're looking at the 84 draft since there's been this much hype around a group. I'm not going to pick and I'm not going to pick these guys to be bust or anything because I don't think so. But I liked Zach Wilson's pro day. It was very impressive. And if you thought Wilson's was impressive, there's a very good chance you thought Justin Fields was as well. Because people like me was like, wow, you know, kind of felt a little cheeky that Justin Fields also had a very similar, like, cross-body 60-plus yard throw. But when in reality, when you do a little digging, they're working with the same quarterback coach right now. So they've devised very similar pro-day workouts, 
and they exemplified the skills of these quarterbacks. These guys are, this is getting to the point where pro days at this level, it's not like 15 years ago where you could walk into a pro day and you could be like, you know what? I can tell this quarterback doesn't get it. These quarterbacks are playing at such level. The college game is so different. The NFL game is so different. These guys are very, very talented that even the quote-unquote bust are going to have dominant pro days, are going to look great on their own facilities, working with their own wide receivers. I know you mentioned the kid from BYU. That's a great story. You got to see, though, throughout everywhere, even underclassmen where you have like Chris Olave working with Justin Fields, there's a reason they're picking their own guys. If they're comfortable with them and they can make you look good, they know what they're doing. So don't look too much into pro days. You're going to hear everything else, too, that this team's walked in with this player. And it's going to change every day for the next month. It happens every year. So when everybody's doing the Justin Fields, he's locked in at three. Or Justin Fields, he's going to fall in this draft to like 15, 20. Sometimes remove yourself. Realize these guys have watched the tape. They don't give a shit about what ESPN, NFL Network, people like Steven and I, they don't give a shit what we're saying. They typically have their made our minds made up already. And they're going to trust their football instincts and their football gut. We're only guessing, honestly, educatedly. So to your point about picking your receivers, obviously you want to look good. But what's really fun about nowadays is what's making the draft, the drafting process a lot different. It's how these teams actually go for a quarterback. They're not looking for a quarterback to fit in the system. They're looking for a quarterback with pure talent. Then let's build a system around you. Remember how everyone didn't give a fuck about Pat Mahomes? That's the, one of the dumbest picks to take at number 10. He's going to sit behind Alex Smith for a year. You're not going to get anything. Yada, yada, yada. Next thing you know, he's literally lighting the league on fire. And with and with Pat Mahomes still in mind, you can tell that's that's exactly what those guys were going for because that those throws were not made at pro days three or four years ago. Maybe you're rolling out, but then you get set and throw the bomb. No one was making those types of throws at pro days to prove themselves. Pat Mahomes has his fingerprints all over the NFL. So I know we were just talking about, yeah, boy, Justin Fields. Dude ran a 4-4-4-40. My goodness. Unofficial. Like I said, everything is unofficial here now. Second fastest quarterback to do it since 2006. RG3 was the only one. That's because Lamar Jackson did not run his 40 time. So if all of you guys are thinking we're bullshitting, eat my ass. So, Wally, do you think that Justin Fields – and let's let's put the bias aside here. Do you think that he is all of a sudden – making leaps on the big board, especially in the quarterback department? I want to, first of all, be upfront and honest that when Dwayne Haskins came out, I wore the bias hat. I did Buckeye to the wind. He's going to be the greatest ever because he's Buckeye, blah, blah, blah. But I could have looked you in the face and told you that I was being biased. It's the same thing that happened this year with the Dwayne train in Washington and now what happens in Pittsburgh. I'll root for him. I'll tell you he's the best quarterback of all time when in reality – He's never amounted to what we expected, even hoped for. Justin Fields isn't the same quarterback. I am so sick and tired of it every year that we do the same thing. And you heard me talk last week, and I get fired up about it just because it happens all the time. And we're seeing it with Booger McFarlane. We're seeing it with these ESPN talking heads. They have this narrative they push about certain players, and it's just lazy. There is such this wrong misdemeanor about Justin Fields. He throws a bunch of screen passes. He throws a lot of underneath. He's a real mobile quarterback. He runs like a ton of RPOs. He ran the fewest RPOs of those top five quarterbacks. He threw the furthest downfield from, this is going to be hard to explain, but from the moment the guy catches the pass, highest percentage of yards total through the passing game, for him, as in he's not getting the yards after catch the other four in this group are getting. This is a guy that happens to be a freaking fast quarterback that just is a pocket passer that can run the ball. He's a very, very, very capable quarterback, and you're making a big mistake if you're not drafting him because of lazy narratives out there. And I pray to God that NFL teams are not so... Let me just listen to these morons that get a little bit of limelight to talk about guys they haven't really watched film on. I have to believe they do their own due diligence. If he gets drafted fifth 
out of these top five quarterbacks, I'm not even upset because of how good this group of quarterbacks are. It's just don't be out there buying into the false narratives. Watch the tape yourself. Watch the, or look at the stats yourself. Look at all of this information in front of you and don't go to the, oh, this dude's a black quarterback. He's he's a, a running guy that, that just happens to throw the ball halfway decent. Don't buy into this shit because that's what people tell you. Make your own mind. Use your freaking brain. Justin Fields is going to be a stud. I really, honest to God, believe that. You ask me what I think, bias aside, if he was on the board at 16, I would entertain the idea of drafting him and saying, Derek, we're running low on time. We might be able to get a little bit of a return and go into the software. I would welcome that, honest to God. Number one thing that sticks out to me for Justin Fields is any other Ohio State quarterback, there's obviously not a good track record with that. But I feel like the correlation with all those Ohio State quarterbacks that come out is they have a stifling defense where Justin Fields, you know, granted there's a very small sample size this year. You only about, what, six or seven games, including, you know, the championship. He kept them in there every single game with that defense was dog shit compared to all the other defenses you guys are typically pumping out. So for Justin to still keep your team in the mix, have them still thinking about or have them in the playoffs with only five games played obviously Justin Field is an immense talent he doesn't look like any of the other quarterbacks that came out of Ohio State that were always run first then we'll pass so I, I honestly I'm, I'm not I'm not biased about Ohio State I think Justin Fields is going to be very good but obviously overshadowed because of the talent that we do have in this quarterback room longevity of it we'll talk here in five years you know when we're on barstool and we're able to talk about it yeah, and to your point real quick, you brought up that this offense is what a lot of people I feel like forget about too is that Ryan Day, just because he's kind of taken over from Urban and the success has been retained, these are different offenses. This is a pro-style offense, whereas before that, the Urban Meyer era was more of that original spread kind of style that you got to see in the mid-2000s. And before that, it was Jim Tressel era where it's, let's run it, for 60% of the time and just hope that you get a short completion and your receiver can make a play after the ball. This is a different kind of offense here. And I think you're going to see as long as Ryan Day is there, they're going to keep it that way. But for whatever reason, can you explain maybe why are we so convinced that Justin Fields played two games in college football in his entire career and it happened to be Indiana and Northwestern? It's so easy to pinpoint the two games he made poor decisions, and boy, he did. He looked like shit. I won't sugarcoat it. But And there's things that he has to do. Like he holds on to the ball forever. He takes too many stupid sacks. He tries to hit home runs on every play. That's the competitive nature. That happens sometimes. You, you don't completely panic. But there's 17, team, 17 games of tape where this guy was phenomenal, could throw the football 50 yards and put it on a pedestal for you. But that doesn't help. It's Northwestern and Indiana only, Stephen. Those are the only games he ever played. Yeah, but those are, come on, those are some pretty bad games. So it's it's understandable. It's understandable. We can't be going for the home run ball playing like that in the NFL. If you're holding on too long in, in a college ball where you're way faster, way easier able to dominate as a player at that caliber, yeah, it's going to raise questions. But at the end of the day, what good quarterback that made made in the NFL – you know, didn't have any negatives on it. Obviously, number one, the Tom Brady, the the combine picture you have that. Aaron Rodgers, actually, when he first came out, he had a problem with holding the ball too high when it, in his backdrop where the DNs can just come and swat it. Drew Brees because of his size. Russell Wilson because of his size. Peyton Manning, eh, he was good, but I, I just I don't mean, know. He, Brett Favre, you know. For what, like 28 picks his first year or something like that? Something miserable. Yeah, he's still waiting for that rookie record to be – to be broken, so do not be surprised when you see those tweets starting siphling out closer to the NFL season of Peyton Manning. Like, oh, really? Wish you luck. Hope you get to beat my record because that was the most Brett Favre that he's ever been. That's typically the the good making of a making of a good quarterback is a bunch of negative tallies that are just overshadowing the positives in Justin Fields' case. So I think that he can be a real problem. We're giving Trey Lance, who who the fuck is he playing against? Right, yeah, kids got talent. I'm never going to knock that, but you're going to put 
18 great games that Trey Lance is playing South Dakota State Tech University. I'd be like, oh wow, look at look the way he's getting 500 yards here. But we then got Justin Fields shit in the bed against a team that would potentially just dominate a North Dakota State team. I don't know. I'm not the I'm not the college football guy, but Wait, what the Oh shoot, I muted myself. Well, the thing is too on that is that Northwestern and Indiana, just on name alone, you just think of they're the mediocre to bad Big Ten teams. That Indiana team last year, that was with Michael Penix Jr. That was a solid Indiana team. That was a team without Ohio State. They were very capable of winning that Big Ten last year. And Northwestern, they freaking won the Big Ten West. I know that Ohio, like, they're not Ohio State. I get that. Ohio State needs to beat Northwestern. Ohio State needs to play better than they did against Northwestern. But those were good teams. You're right. They weren't playing Fargo State and Southern Illinois Junior College of JUCO Tech. I I just, whatever. Yeah, they might both be project quarterbacks. And I'm not rooting against Lance. I'm not rooting against Mac Jones. I think all five of these quarterbacks have the tools. I just think that we pick and choose when we apply them. Before we start moving on, you know, the free agent is still available. Mac Jones. Looks like he had a pretty solid pro day. couple overthrows. Billy B, Bill Belichick, Kyle Shanahan were in attendance for this. What are your thoughts on that and his pro day, Mac Jones' pro day overall? So I'm not going to say that they're not taking Mac Jones. Like I would have initially thought that. I think that you could realistically see any of those three non-Zach Wilson, non-Trevor Lawrence guys go three to San Francisco. I do think they're locked in. At quarterback, I think that your friend's friend who knows the San Francisco water boy's brother, I think that he, I, th- I think he's an idiot. There you go. I, I'll i go on record to say it. There's no way they take Sewell. There's no way they take the Northwestern kid. There's no way they take the OK State kid at the beginning. But I like Mac Jones. I think that he's, he's functional. It's just he's the one. It's ironic because you want to think it's Justin Fields by the way the public narrative is. But he's the one who has the highest percent of his yards coming after the catch. He throws a lot of RPOs. This is a guy that is in an offense with Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Najee Harris. There's talent all over the field for him. That's where you wonder, like, okay, maybe we need to look a little harder. I'm not going to say he can't do it because he made the throws. He looked good yesterday. I don't know. I, I This is, for me, it's too early. He has ties now. Shanahan has ties to Lance at his field, or pro day. He has ties to Mac Jones at his. And even though he didn't go to the Ohio State one, a lot of people think that rules him out. What people don't realize is that his father himself and one of his other position coaches run a quarterback camp that Justin Fields was a part of a, several years ago if they felt that maybe they had enough information from that camp, it could be a smokescreen where they are just trying to go. Who knows? It could be anything. I don't know. Do you feel like one of these guys jumps off the map at you more than another right now that could go to the 49ers? Because I haven't made my mind up. To be honest, I didn't really get to see all of Trey Lance. And if there was a lot to see on Trey Lance, I probably would have watched it right now, just like the Zach Wilson and the Justin Field pro day hype ups. But right now, like you said, it's all smoke. It's all smoke and mirrors right now. It's going to be really hard. But why not? If you get, if you have a talent like that, we'll see. We'll see in the next two or three weeks. Maybe maybe Jimmy G gets really drunk, fucking tears his ACL, and they're like, you know what? Maybe we are, we are done with his bullshit, banging porn stars, taking him out to dinner to San Francisco. We're going to move on to Justin Fields, Trey Lance, whatever. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a tackle, Wally. That you okay? Here it is. We thought the BK bet was dead. You find something else. I am willing, and I'll wait, because a lot can happen before the draft. But if we are still adamant, I'm just saying quarterback. If you're hell-bent on tackle, I will make that bet right now. You figure out what I'm putting down my gullet, I will freaking do it in a heartbeat. First off, after that bet, we decided that we're going to have to do something physical, because that is just the most torturing thing to us. We'll stay in contact. We'll make we'll make sure that this bet can have some leverage here, but I'm not agreeing to anything right now. Like I said, I'll check with my source, and then I'll start making bets. Because I have the upper hand here, bud. 
I'm telling you, you have whatever you want. I will freaking do the the treadmill for three hours a day if it comes to it. That I'm willing to go all out on this bet. If I do make this bet and they do not pick a tackle, this is going to be worse than when the Packers picked Jordan Love last year. I'm telling you, this is going to be the bet. You were telling me, you're like, Wally, hey, look at this. Me and the BK got you basically reinvigorated on the, the diet come February. This is going to be the moment where I'm going to point to a GQ magazine in three years and be like, you know why Steven has those abs? Because I had him running six miles a day when he believed that the water boy's second cousin who knew his girlfriend said that they're taking Panay Sewell. I cannot cite my source here live. Once we're popped off here, I know we're done recording. I'll, I'll reveal my source. But until then... We have a bunch of free agents remaining here. A few that are top on the list, Jadavion Clowney, Mitchell Schwartz, Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, Eric Fisher, KJ Wright, Richard Sherman, AB, just to name a few. Wally, most of these guys are either, you know, a little bit older, Jadavion Clowney coming off a horrible year, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, both coming off injury and a little bit over the 30. Yeah, as for me, just looking at this list you said, I think that the common thread pretty much throughout all the free agents that are still available. What is it? It's age. Typically, these guys are at least on the twilight portion of their careers. And because of that restricted cap, you're going to have these guys sit out a little longer. They're realizing they only have a few paydays left out there. A lot of those younger guys are willing to take the one-year deals, basically bridge years, and say, you know, I'm going to make that money back next year and then some. These guys don't have that same situation. They don't have that luxury. These are the kind of guys now that are just looking at this and saying, if I strike out again this next year, who knows what I'm looking at come 2022. But if you ask who I want personally, I I kind of would love to bring in Jadavian Clowney at the right price. Now that's the question because Clowney still thinks he's worth a lot more than teams at this moment are willing to pay. You saw that last offseason. The Browns sounded like they were really into having and bringing him in, and it didn't happen. I suppose lucky for the Browns coming off the year that you mentioned. Terrible. Otherwise, I would like to bring in a little bit of an edge veteran presence, a little older guy that could be rotational. And then, of course, for me, as a Raiders fan that just basically knows that if the opponent quarterback drops back for a pass, there's a 90-plus percent chance that something bad is coming for the Raiders. I wouldn't be opposed to bringing in Richard Sherman. At least you know with him, he has that incredible natural sense of where he needs to be on the field. He's a ball hawk. Even if he's not put in the same situation where he's going to be playing the same kind of strength that he's used to, I would love to have a guy like him in the locker room just for the simple morale aspect, for the simple knowledge of the game hopefully that transcends to the younger dbs because i couldn't tell you outside charles woodson it feels like 10 15 years since i could look at a couple pieces in the secondary and be excited about ah you know who else no i'm the awesome awesome one you and i both hit it ironic enough yeah again i talked about that ohio uh group chat through group me my buddy zach youssef i wanted to get him the nom the awesome one jersey after i moved from Cleveland up to Wisconsin because he's an Eagles fan. But unfortunately, by the time I saw him again, Nom the Awesome Wall fell off a freaking bridge in Philadelphia. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm assuming he doesn't want this jersey anymore. <laughs> so, I, yeah, brutal times. Brutal, brutal times. It's still in my closet. Very proud of that. If I ever lose 200 more pounds and I get down to like 50 pounds, I'll be able to fit into it again. But outside of that, is there anyone for the Packers on this list or anyone even not that we haven't mentioned that you were like, you know what? I know it's late. I know we're getting to the dog days of free agency, but I'd take a flyer on this guy. Maybe he can get back to what he used to be. Obviously, Jadavion Clowney, anytime you can add pass rush and pass rush depth, complimenting him with Zadarius and Preston Smith, marked with Rashawn Gary, who's going to be an absolute stud for us next year. I know you hate him, Michigan boy. Makes sense. But other than that, either Eric Fisher or Mitchell Schwartz, we really need offensive tackles in Green Bay. Large question marks right next to them. Mitchell Schwartz coming off a of back surgery. Then you have Eric Fisher. 
who suffered a, an Achilles injury, which is minimum 12-month recovery. So he probably won't even play this year. So I guess Mitchell Schwartz, i take a risk on it. Bolster the old line a little bit for the pack. Yeah, if he can get healthy, I wouldn't blame anybody for taking a shot at one of those Kansas City Chief linemen. There's a reason that those guys were a part of such a dynamic offense. They knew how to protect the quarterback. It's just a matter of, at their ages, are they going to be able to rehab and be what they were before? And that is obviously remains to be seen. Before we head out of here, Wally, we have to give a March Madness update here. My picks, absolute dog shit last week. So for those of you that were following us during football, a little nostalgia taking my picks for basketball. So the final four is set. We have UCLA beating Michigan. I know I think everyone on this podcast and listening can enjoy Michigan taking a fat L to an 11-seeded UCLA. Got UCLA, Baylor, Gonzaga, and of course, Houston. Your final four is fucked. My final four is fucked. Let's skip over that. Who do we take into the championship? Who are we predicting to be in the championship and winning it? Well, considering the fact that I had four Big Ten teams in my final four, it is safe to say it did not uh, work out well on my behalf this past year. I think we're both going to agree, just like 98% of Americans that have watched this freaking tournament right now realize Gonzaga is a wagon, full-on wagon. We're talking Oregon Trail Do not stop, go. You're there before winter wagon. This is a good team. This is a very freaking good team. And I think Michigan almost dodged a bullet losing last night. Here's a real quick, tiny story for you. Felt bummed out for it. Uh, Parents, neighbors uh, out here in the Pittsburgh area where you're, you're very familiar with, our neighbor, both of them were Michigan grads. They met each other at Michigan. So we always had a fun little rivalry there. Regrettably, the... Uh, man next door passed away a few years ago. That was really a bummer. But she kind of, she's obviously still a Michigan fan, still has the Michigan stuff in the yard, all that. When Ohio State played Alabama this year, I was ironically home um, battling COVID. I was in quarantine. She brought over Ohio State cookies for us, even though she's a Michigan grad, did all this fun stuff. And I had the bright idea. I'm like, you know what, guys? You know what we need to do? When Michigan goes to the Final Four, we're going to make her Michigan basketball cookies as like a, you know what? We can be nice. We can be good people too. We got the freaking Michigan block M in the mail yesterday. Cookie cutter. Michigan loses the game. So now we're stuck in that conundrum of, do you make the cookies? And then you're like, we look like assholes or do you make them? And then you're just like, Hey, you know what? She'll, she'll understand. We were trying to be nice. And it just didn't happen that way. So that's where I'm stuck. But Gonzaga over Baylor, long, long way to get there. Gonzaga over Baylor for me. If you were smart, you're just going to go ahead and return the Michigan cookie cutter, get a UCLA one, and just sprinkle sprinkle salt inside that womb. Yeah, it was really nice that she said you the Ohio State cookies. But that rivalry does not run. That's not a two-way street. Sorry. Take this fat L. But enjoy the cookies. That's the only you know you gotta stuff your face for depression one way or the other. Um, That's brutal. UCLA, literally salty UCLA cookies. I don't eat. I'm a salt, no sugar, and powder blue. And I I hate Michigan. I hate the M. The the whole block out the M's Michigan week. Everything you know that's great. Can't stand a blue and Mason blue is just gross. It kind of makes your blood like curdle a little bit. I don't think I have that uh, that in me. I, I couldn't do UCLA cookies. Be like, you know what? Thanks for the Buckeye cookies. And then like flip her off as I'm walking away. Be like, see ya. Yeah. Also, half of these cookies have laxatives. So make sure you choose wisely here. That will bring us to the end of another episode of Loss of Down. Of course, always joining me, Walter Lukashensky in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wally, do you have any nice parting words for our listeners? Yeah, obviously I would never do that to the neighbor. I'm not you. I'm not a soulless, heartless person. So they would they'll enjoy their non-Michigan cookies somewhere else some other day in the future. Otherwise, on my end, I really don't have anything. This really I'm I'm dead serious when I say this. Camera on, camera off. This was so good for me because I was in a really bad spot coming into tonight. So I appreciate you, Steven. I appreciate the people listening. I feel a lot better. I was stressed out. I was ready to fight people that I'm close with over freaking stupid, trivial shit going through this party stuff. 
I feel a lot better. I'm level-headed. So thank you, Steven. Hopefully I get out there. We can do a live show here in a couple weeks. I'd like to do one about once a month or so. But thank you. Another great show. Can't wait to do episode 28 with you next week. You know I love you, Wally, but don't know why you had to come in with the camera because now you're making me pay. Now i got to look at you crying, being upset, all the different emotions you have. But Nothing you know like what? like a good cry, man. Nothing like a good cry. Hey, like Jimmy, like Jim Valvano said, got to cry every day. You gotta, we got to do a bunch of shit every day, but you may not be as evil to your neighbors. My neighbors are complaining about the weed smell all the time, so I'm going to send them UCLA cookies with laxatives in it. And make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, at Loss and Down, Twitter, down underscore loss. He is Wally Lukashetsky. I am Steven Weed. Until next week, we are Loss and Down, and we will see you then. Justin Fields, QB1.